0: Happy guy, then he ate a moldy pumpkin pie. Then he thought that he just couldn't die. So, Ned, he laughed so all Hello, my friends, and welcome to episode 4-468 of the Run, Run, Live podcast, the famous Run, Run, Live podcast. Today, we're going to talk to my friend Thomas, who is a college cross-country runner and uh, a college runner in general. So if you force me to name just one benefit from having put out this podcast for the past dozen years or so, it would be head and shoulders above everything else, the people that I meet. And the podcast gives me an excuse to learn about them. But I didn't meet Thomas through the podcast, but the podcast gives me an opportunity to talk to him. And it's interesting and enlightening. And I think there's something to learn here for everyone. There's nuggets here for for everyone. For us older athletes, we get a lesson on how that, you know, just by showing up, we may make an impact on someone. And there might be a lesson here for runners just starting out around what their journey could look like. And it probably has some nuggets for parents to think about as well in Thomas's story. So I think you'll enjoy that. And then in section one, I'm going to talk about the magical sport of cross-country. And in section two, I'm going to talk about the elliptical. Yes, that ungainly piece of equipment in the corner of your gym. Or if you have one at home, that thing that you hang your clothes on. (laughs) As for me... Uh, There was a bit of a setback in my return to running when I glibly tossed in that trail five-miler a few weeks back. I did something to my knee. I don't know if it was the same thing or something new, but, you know, I've been recovering for the last year. I've got time, but it was noticeably sore, so I took some time off, not running. Instead, I'm working and focusing on some basic core, some PT, some flexibility, balance, strength. And I did jump on the elliptical at my gym for a warm-up this week and discovered that, you know, maybe I can use this piece of equipment to gain a little bit of fitness. We'll see. Uh, While I'm waiting around for my knee to sort itself out. I haven't put the bike up on the trainer yet because it's still rideable outside a little bit. And when I say trainer, uh, we've talked about this before. If you go back in the notes, this is that contraption that is basically some rollers that you can mount your bike on and you ride in place. And it is in the top three of the endurance training hall of pain workouts. It's mind-numbingly awful, but you can watch TV. And I did go out and squeeze a bike ride in last weekend with my buddies when I left my house for the ride Saturday morning. There was ice in the back of my truck, so it was a bit brisk out on the bike trail, a bit slick. But we stopped for coffee about halfway in to warm up. We had to stop for coffee to warm up because we were freezing. And I am starting to put on a little weight, but it is what it is. My daily workout is a combination of foam rolling, stretching, some core strength, none of which is super challenging or super cardio. Um, the only challenging part is convincing myself to do it and then not trying to rush through it. I did buy a set of latex bands from Amazon that I use to add resistance to some of these PT exercises, like, you know, your clamshells and that sort of thing. And they're pretty good. Uh, it's a bag of 10 of them and they're different, different sizes and different resistances. And if you're interested, I can hunt down the link and send it to you, or post it. Uh, They're in a little pouch that you can throw in your gym bag. I think it was like, I don't know, 12 bucks, something like that. Useful though. My knee is still pretty achy, like I said, and I'm losing patience and getting frustrated with it. So I just have to keep reminding myself to take the long view and keep showing up, and good things will happen if you're consistent, right? And you all know by now, that I am running a fitness project at work, which basically means I'm being an ad hoc fitness coach for all the people in my group. So I have this one friend in my group who's in his mid forties. We will, we won't name him. Uh, and he bought a Peloton, a Peloton treadmill, and he's been on it every day for almost a month now, and he's really inspired. And he's gone from from zero for the last you know thirty years to every day. And when I look at what he's doing, right, I go, wow, that's great. But he can't even run a mile without walking yet, right? But it's transformational for him. So I'm not going to complain about not being able to do 20-mile runs, intervals, hill repeats, 50Ks, right? I'm not going to complain about that. It's all relative. I'm going to do my PT and take what the knee gives me, and I'll be back to running in no time at all. And that's not about injury or fitness, it's about mindset. Some people look at the sky and they see the clouds. You, you and I, we look at the sky, we make note of the clouds, but we see the blue sky. And it's the same with thoughts. The blue sky is your gratitude and your peace. The clouds are the crazy thoughts your brain sends scampering around like demented weasels. Don't focus on the clouds. Focus on the blue sky, and your days will be sunnier. And you may even manifest some more blue in your skies. On with the show. It is when we learn to leave our comfort zone that we find ourselves communing with our inner strength. The magical world of cross-country. So every fall, young men and women... Get ready for a cross-country season. It's an age-old tradition. What could be more primal and natural than young people running pell-mell across open fields and hills, out into the wilds, over hill and dale? It's a delightful sport, which began formally with the British back in the 1800s. Yes, those wacky Victorians again. Cross-country became part of the Olympics in 1912 in Stockholm. And it's a related but different sport to standard track and field events. The courses for cross country, these courses, they range from fairly tame and standardized grass and dirt, 5Ks and 10Ks, to some fairly rough, obstacle laden, odd distances. And most of your famous middle and long distance runners that you see in the news winning races, they had early careers in cross country. It's part of their formation. Now, I ran cross-country in what we call high school in the U.S. I ran my last two years as a junior and a senior. And in the U.S., it's a fall sport. And this is where I learned how to run and began my relationship with endurance sports. I remember quite fondly heading out for long training runs on the country roads around Groton, Massachusetts, with the team on beautiful, crisp fall days after school. Now, I did not join the cross-country team because I liked running or because I had any innate talent for it. I joined because sports were mandatory at my school, and the captain of the wrestling team, which was my main sport, was the captain of the cross-country team. So basically, I joined cross-country to get in shape for the winter wrestling season, and because of the paucity of runners— and the way that cross-country works, I somehow found myself on the varsity squad, and it was all very formative. I loathed the races. They were awful. They were just pain fests. Some were memorable, but most of it was just terrifying. But I loved the training. Every day, after school, heading out with the team for long runs in the cool fall weather. It was awesome. So what are the components of this magical beast called cross country well first you need a course and the courses are outside in the wild it's very common to have the cross country course built into the playing fields but they don't have to be they can be rough goat paths through the forest these were always my favorites they were more like steeplechase than cross country races jumping over logs scrambling up hills running through streams ah the joy of it Now, the distances for these races, they actually vary. For the most part, younger athletes get a shorter course around 5k or less, and the older athletes run up to a 10k. In the prep private league that I ran, it had shorter courses, and everyone was different. I think everyone understands how individual cross-country racing works. It's very simple. You had Like any other race, you have a bunch of runners, and they all try to win. But it's also a team sport, and that's where it gets tricky. Your typical cross-country team has five to ten runners, and a cross-country contest is called a meet. And you can have either dual meets, which are between two teams head-to-head, or multi-team meets, like league meets and championships. And how they score multi-team meets with two or more teams, is interesting. The way cross-country is scored is different than most other sports, and a bit nuanced. The team with the lowest score wins. Okay, so for each team, only the top five runners can score. And the score for the team is the sum of all the individual runners' scores. And this is how it works. The runner who comes in first gets one point. The runner who comes in second gets two points, etc., all the way down the line, like that. Then you add up all the points. Whoever has the lowest points wins. So your team can have the runner who wins the race, and your team can still lose the meet. And I'll apologize in advance, but we're going to do a little math here, right? So let's say it's a dual meet, two teams, and your, your runner gets first place, and then the opposing team takes the next five places in a row. So your team loses 20 to 35. Even if your team takes first and second, and the other team sweeps the next five places, you still lose 30 to 25. But if you take the first three places, your team, that's called a sweep, and you can't mathematically lose after that. So you can see how this scoring becomes particularly crazy in a big meet. And as fifth man on my team, my plotting around the course with the finish of, let's say, 126th place in a big meet just might make the difference over some other team's fifth man finishing 130th, which is kind of fun. And to complicate matters, even though you're only your top five runners get scored, your six through ten runners can displace the competition in a big meet by finishing ahead of other teams' scoring runners. How does this work, right? So their scoring runners get pushed down the list into a higher place by your non-scoring runners finishing ahead of them and it increases their team score. So a league championship race could very well be decided by the fat guy you made carry the towels. So no slacking, every runner counts, every place counts. Cool, huh? So if you can't run a cross-country race, you should at least go volunteer and watch one. Typically, all the teams are lined up in the beginning across a wide starting line in individual corrals, each team in a little corral on a playing field, maybe a couple hundred runners wide, right? And at some point, probably right across on the other side of the playing field, the course will abruptly narrow. So what this means is that unless you want to get trapped behind the other runners, you must sprint out of the gate to make it to the course before the other runners. And so that creates this crazy melee effect right at the start. And if the weather is bad, which where I live means mud, but in other places might mean heat and dust, it really doesn't matter. It's all part of the course. It's all part of the fun. You deal with it. And that it actually isn't bad for the first few guys, but if you're in a big meet, it gets pretty dicey for us plotters in the mid-pack. If you're the guy following a couple hundred people through a mud hole or a couple hundred stomping feet through a dust bowl, you're going to be the worst for it. (laughs) So since these races are relatively short, you know, rarely does one runner like run away with it. It's usually a pretty tight race. It's a grueling duel between a handful of great young athletes all the way. Very exciting. And to see these young athletes finish is something to behold because they give a 100%. It's very exciting. If you would like a, a taste, you can watch all the big school meets on YouTube. Yeah. And I would recommend it. Dial it up. Just Google cross-country championship and watch one on YouTube. It's amazingly fun. So that's cross-country. Go find a race. Watch it. And now for today's featured interview. Hey Thomas, how are we doing? I'm good. How are you? Good. good. Give, give us the two hundred words on who you are, what you do.
1: All right. I'm Thomas Orcutt. I'm from Groton, Massachusetts. I am currently twenty years old. I'm a sophomore at Merrimack College and I run Division One Cross Country and Track there. Currently, right now. I just wrapped up the cross country season. It went well. I started off strong, I should say, actually, but I ran into a couple injury humps mid-year and it kind of put me down for effectively the championship season, which is unfortunate, but I'm coming back now and I'm looking good for indoor track.
0: Cool. So what are the seasons like for you? You do cross country, then indoor track and outdoor track?
1: Yes. Yeah. Cross country starts um, late August. It runs till roughly early November, maybe mid November, depending on how far you can take it. And indoor starts early December, runs till late February, early March. Yeah. And then there's a spring track too, right? Yes. Spring starts April, runs till June. Yeah. Now, what do you do in the summer? You just train? Yeah. Summer is all about crushing miles. Yeah. Building. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm
0: looking at uh, you talking about the championships and competing at a pretty high level as a 20-year-old in college. Who are your running sort of heroes
1: in the world today? Like, who do you look up to that's active today? I would say my biggest idol has always been Galen Rupp. I just grew up watching him. The first, when I really got into running, that was when he was with the Oregon Project and he had just broken the American record in 10K. I watched him run that race and it was like, wow, this guy is so cool because the sport is just so dominated by like the Kenyan athletes. And then they were like, you know, this is like the next big American. This is the biggest thing since Steve Prefontaine we've had. And then he went out and he won a silver in the 10K. And then he came back in Rio and I was like, oh my God, he's running the, five, or the 10K marathon. And he came back and he got a bronze in the marathon. And okay. I was like, wow, this guy is like so cool. And he's just been an inspiration to watch because he started at such a young age and he's always been the prodigy. Right. So you started at a
0: pretty young age. And the kind of funny story, the way we met is your mom used to drop you off at our club runs when you were a kid and you go running with us. Yes.
1: I started running probably in fourth grade. The story was my mom was running the Groton Road Race and she would just, Groton Road Race, everybody's got to do it. And she was just like a novice runner, hobby jogger, and she would just go run and take me out. For runs were there and we'd run like two or three miles. And then there was one day she was like, all right, well, I'm, I'm going to run the 10 K loop. You want to come with me? I think you can do it. So we ran the 10 K loop together. And the entire time I was like, mom, I just want to go faster. I want to go faster. And eventually we got back to, I think we got to common street and she's like, fine, you can just go. I was keep in mind. I was in fourth grade at the time. And I just sprinted up common street and ran all the way back to the middle school. And I was going as hard as I can. And I was like, yep, I want to be a runner. Yeah, Common Street is like a, I would guess, maybe a third of a mile hill. Yeah, it's it's brutal, and that that's a killer for anyone. Yeah,
0: yeah. so that's the last mile of the, the Groton Road race. You get a little bit of a hill, and then it's a couple of hooks down under the track to finish. But that's all going to change, because they're tearing up the track this year. Yeah,
1: I know, it's that's unfortunate. Gone. They're but, building uh, another something there. They're building something where the track was, so. Yeah. yeah that's all gone, so. Yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. I mean, hey, it is what it is, but so what's fourth grade fourth grade is what like seven eight years old something like that i think i think i was eight years old or nine years old something like that yeah yeah so old enough
0: yeah ever any concern for people going hey somebody this age shouldn't be doing these distances it's bad for them
1: i did have um like one of our neighbors who are they are also athletes runners they're one's a swimmer one's a runner they said wow like he's nine ten years old and I remember this they're saying you're really running like that much like wow that's a lot and, and it made it seem like it was uh almost like bad for me and it was like wow like this kid yeah. is doing this uh oh like what's what's happening like you know because you know you see people get injured and running all the time they're like wow you don't you can be eight nine years old and you're gonna maybe get an injury like something like that from running
0: yeah yeah because like, wow
1: right you're wow, I was developing yeah I was definitely growing a lot then but yeah we're just like wow he's out here running six seven miles maybe he's nine years old you don't see a lot yeah. of yeah kind of kids do that yeah then you came over and started running with us which uh we were too slow for you too yeah started running with you guys i think probably midway through middle school <laughs> i remember uh my mom the very first time it was at beth's house my mom dropped me off because yeah. she knew that yeah. we were her family friends with beth and um, she dropped me off at Beth's house and I had never even run. I think I ran nine miles with you guys that day. I had never run nine miles a day in my life, but I went out and I ran with you guys and that was big for me. I appreciated that because I, I liked running with people. So it was, yeah, that was actually big for me. If, if there were so talking about the races and stuff, right? Yeah, I remember that. Uh, talking about yeah. the marathon, getting ready for that. It was cool though. I think I needed that kind of door opening into the sport because I was relatively inexperienced. I didn't start really racing until I got to high school. So, yeah, it's interesting to me. So, a couple of things to stick a pin in. One is the Groton
0: Road Race, right? How many lives have we changed or enhanced by having that race, right? In Groton every year for the last 25, 30 years, right? So, there's probably three generations of kids that we've influenced. So, that's a learning for people, right? I say in the second learning would be just having community around running gives
1: people a safe space to do it, right? And again, you're influencing generations of, of kids. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the Groton Road Race that got me started. I mean, I remember the first time I ran that it was just a blast. Like I ran it with my friends. Um, I didn't even run it. Like we didn't even like race it really. I just went out and I did it with my friends and that was honestly so much fun. Like, I think that it got them to start running and it only boosted what love I had for the sport. So, so how do you think being involved at an early age has impacted or
0: affected the trajectory of your life so far? I mean, you're young, so you got a lot
1: of life to live, but how do you think it's uh, Positive or negative impact on your life? That's a good question because I can say there have definitely been some negatives and there have been a lot of positives. When I started really getting into it and started running for time, I was probably in like sixth or seventh grade. I was young and I that's when I was like, Oh, like I gotta start caring about time. I wanna get faster, I wanna see improvements. And I worked so hard every day. I started running probably like 50 miles a week in seventh grade. Like I was putting in some, some substantial mileage as a young kid. And when I got to high school, not many kids were running 50 miles. So I was yeah. immediately at the at the top there. And then by the time I was done with high school, I was running like 80. And how many college kids are running 80 miles a week? Not too many. And now I'm running close to 100. And I'm at that point in my life. There's just uh the training from starting at a young age has just allowed me to kind of reach a new level every year that's a couple steps ahead of everyone else I guess maybe there are other guys who are 100 miles a week but not many incoming freshmen can run 100 so I had that advantage that
0: that training load has diminishing returns like you're starting to find out right you get a good coach and they'll that may be part of it but it, it tends to grind people out early if you with those kind of
1: training loads yeah, I had a lot of injuries late in my high school career. I missed my entire senior year with the stress fracture. Um, I had the yeah. foot surgery. I think I had that. I had a couple minor hiccups basically all throughout high school. Like every year, I probably had one or two hiccups where it was like, you know, you're close. You got to take it easier. And yeah. I've had just the one. I call this a hiccup too. Just the one hiccup this year where you're close to an injury. Take it easier and let's yeah. manage this. So that has definitely been a negative, but another positive I can say is, um, I just had that like racing mentality at such a young age, like that mentality that, you know, you're going to go out and do your best and try and improve every day. I, in a race, I had that mentality, but not a lot of kids really develop till I think they're in high school, maybe. And I had that, I would say I really had that in probably seventh grade. Yeah. Yeah. You go back to Galen Rupp. That's one of the things about him,
0: right. Is he's super intense. Both in his training and his racing, right? So mm-hmm. I can see that that parallel. But in terms of outside of running, or if
1: you're doing those kind of miles, is there any outside of running in your in your life? Oh man, everything, every day revolves around okay, I'm am I running at this time or am I running in the afternoon? There's not a lot of room for, I guess. Other things. I come to school, I wake up in the morning, I run, I go to class to do my classes, do whatever I do during the day. And then I go again and I go run, go run at practice in the afternoon. Like it revolves around running and I'm fine with that. Like I've totally embraced that. I accept that. I love it. It's what I love doing. I'm just totally okay with that. I think. Yeah. So what do you see yourself doing when you get out of school? Ideally, I'm a business major. So um, I'm studying finance. Ideally, I'll get a job in that field, um, selling trading stocks, maybe that's my dream job. I love that. I hope running can be a part of my life in a competitive aspect after college. I've accepted the fact that maybe I won't be an Olympian, but I can still run fast times, like I'll still be a very competitive runner after college. I'd like to keep that up. I mean, I think everybody's dream is to go pro and I'm definitely not going to be sponsored by Nike or anyone, but I have the ability to maybe run at some competitive level after college. So yeah, it's tough because the difference between 20 seconds a mile and some of these
0: events, you know, or 10 seconds a mile is a giant gap, right? There's a big, big bunch of people there. And then your choice to want to follow that pro lifestyle. You get a
1: star for a while. It's kind of like being a rock star or an actor, right? You have a one in 100 shot. And that's if you stay healthy. Yeah, it's and the training that the pros do versus even what I do now is like you dedicate your life to this, and it's like, is that really what you want? Like, are you going to sacrifice jobs the next five years of your life after college? Are you going to move out to Colorado? Are you going to yeah, you know, just give yeah. up everything? Okay? Yeah, and go for it. And I think I'd be willing to do it if I knew the result would be uh what I wanted. So
0: yeah. It's interesting because as a professional, there's going to be plenty of people that want you on their weekend relay team as a, a five-minute miler,
1: right? <laughs> this is, yeah, I mean, everybody wants them, but fortunately, you know, there's just so many of them and it's just such a competitive field that you got to be the best to get there. So, I mean, you'd win a bunch of the races that I've been in, right?
0: Um, the winners come through at like a 620 pace for a half marathon in some of these regional events. Not around Boston, right? Around Boston, everybody's yeah. fast, right? So I like to talk about the New Bedford half marathon, where the top 100
1: finishers are under six minute miles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the top 100 <laughs> yeah then that's that gets tough like i mean i can do that i could crush that i could probably run like 65 66 for a half marathon i like to think but oh. i mean you go to some of these bigger races like you go to the BA half there are probably 50 people who are close to that i don't know what exactly the results are but i'm not even maybe even in the top 30 Yeah, you know, there's no prize money
0: you go out to missouri or someplace in pennsylvania
1: and run a half marathon you're going to be five minutes ahead of the person major. Yeah. Right. So. Right. Boston's just so competitive that we got. Yeah. Home Boston, Colorado, Oregon. Yeah. Same.
0: Yeah. So, but as you go forward, you're running cross country, you're running track. Have you noticed the difference of sort of the
1: mindset between those two communities? Yeah. So, you know, in track, you have every other event you got your jumps, you got your sprints, throws and I still kind of find myself mingling with cross country runners who run track. And I'm just s- still in a community with them because I train with them every day. And the mindset and track, I feel like slowly becomes more individual because it's like the team's so big and I'm really only thinking about my one race. Whereas in cross country, you're thinking about your one race, but everybody's running it. So th- the team aspect in cross country, I feel like is a lot larger. I would care more about not that I don't care about how our track team does, but I know all the guys on the cross country team. I can name all of them, but yeah, I want to win a team title in cross country just as much as I'd love to win an individual one. And it's more, I feel like maybe our cross country team has got a little bit more depth than our track team does. We're a relatively distance heavy um, program here and track team is good, but the cross country has been very successful recently. And I just find myself saying that cross-country may be a little bit more team-orientated, I guess.
0: Yeah, that's what my impression was, too. The um, much more of a, a social team sort of aspect to the cross-country runners. And that's what you want to look for going forward, right? Is Because there's a bunch of different ways you can go. I mean, road racing is fine, but the road racers tend to be super intense. The trail guys are super laid back, right? So if you go into trail or ultra, they're... They're just out there to have fun, right? Right. It depends what you want to get out of it.
1: Yeah, I can I can agree with that. You know, the trail guys, they'll go out there and they'll handle gel at like mile 15 when they when they need it, but they see you need it more. They'll do that. The road race guys, no, they're out there to they're out there to kick it. So yeah, they're out to win. So what's your high water mark so far? Meaning in terms of times, yeah. I ran 1430 this uh fall on the track in a time trial. Um run for, for the 5K? 5K, yeah. I've run 4.10 yeah. for a mile, um, nine flat for two mile. This year, I'm, I'm looking to run like 14.10, I think. And I'm looking to break four. I think that would be ideally, I think that would be like where I want to be. I think 14.10 would put me in a good position to maybe be on the outside at an NCAA championship. That's what my coach said. He said, if you're right there at 14.10, you get into the regional meet, anything can happen. So that's where I want to be. So
0: you guys end up at that Reebok, I think it was no, it was uh, New Balance, the the one down in the park in Boston.
1: That race, the AA, the IC4A is an ECAC. Yeah, we will run yeah. that. That's coming up soon. I don't know if I'll be running that just because of the injury right now. Um, I don't know if I'll be in shape to really go out there and compete. But we do go to that, and we go to the NCAA regionals, and if we're good enough, I don't know if we'll be able to make it this year. We probably won't have a shot at the national meet. It's just so competitive trying yeah. to get in there. What's the guy who wins running in? There was one year where they had 15 guys under 29 in the 10K. So you got to be like 28 yeah. mid, yeah. 28 then, low. Right. And that's a cross-country course. So we're that's a cross-country course. Yes. Yeah. We're running on grass. That's not a track. So. Yeah. And there, there are hills. It is cold. It is November. Yeah. And there are guys coming through the 5K and 14 flat easily i'm yeah. A race yeah they're going i love going back and watching the old uh
0: youtube because they record those because it's a yep. loop course they can do it and it's like a newscast right and especially the women's races are cool if you go back and watch like molly seidel yes run it in the park it's really cool because they're like who's this person from out of nowhere right
1: yeah and yeah it's cool yeah those races are crazy i mean A lot of times the guys will just go out so, so fast and just burn it the first half of the race. And just the second half of the race isn't pretty for them, but a lot of guys will just go out and burn it. Like the guy who won the NCAA meet last year, he split 407 at the mile. They go out hard. But on the grass, up the hill. Yeah. Yeah. They go out hard. Well, you have to, right? It's only, yeah, it's only 5K
0: and or it's only, well, it's 10K, right? For you guys. Yes. 10K, yeah. So you have to, though, to get out of the pack.
1: Yeah. cross-country race, if you're stuck in the pack, you can't run. Right. And the guys, everybody just goes out so fast. I mean, my first college cross-country race, in high school, the fastest I had ever gone out for a first mile in a race was like 455 or 450. My first college cross-country race, I went out in 4:38. I was like, what, what is this? Yeah. Everybody just, I think I was probably in like 30th place at that point. Right. I like yeah, what? Still... I was like, what is going on here? Everybody just goes <laughs> out so fast and it's crazy. I split a PR at the 5k in my first college cross country race. It was crazy. It was like, what is happening? Yeah. 10k is a long ways for a cross country race. So yeah, that's yeah, hard going that fast. That's a lot of pain towards the end. Mm-hmm. All right. So what else do you got to say? What have you learned from all this, Thomas. I think running has really impacted me in a positive way in terms of like mindset and um, just learning about putting an effort and getting results, just a simple, you get what you give equation, I guess. I think I can take that with me as a business person, bring that with me into the real world. Um, but you just learn that the more effort you give something and the more you focus on it, the better you'll do, I guess. I, I mean it's the most cliche thing there is you get what you no. give but
0: no it is and and the other thing you'll find is that
1: when you set a goal
0: for something that's three months away and you sit down with your coach and you say three months from now I want to do this and you set up a plan to get there right so you right say, same thing in business right as you are saying here's my here's my goal and here's how I'm going to get there and
1: then the discipline and the habits to do what you need to do every day to get there right right. So it's it's a very strong parallel. Yeah. And I didn't necessarily see that until I got to probably now, late high school, early college, when you realize, okay, like the only way to get better at something is if you aren't lazy about it. You don't go out and party on the weekends. You're focused. You know what you want to do and you set your goals to get there. And you, you have, you know, mini goals that are kind of benchmarks along the way. That you need to get there. And I've really learned that, that having one goal, the big end goal, but then having the benchmark goals, those are so important.
0: Yeah. And the racing is good too, because you, it teaches you that hard things are okay. Right? Yes. If you be in pain, it's not going to kill you hard right. things are okay. So the, again, there's a parallel in the business world where you, know, you have these events, which are high profile events, and there's a lot of stakes on them. It's like a race, right? You, and you prepare right. those and you execute. A lot, a lot of parallels,
1: a lot of parallels. Yep, there definitely are. All right, man. Anything you want to share before we go? I think I gave you pretty much everything about me. (laughs) I I gave you everything I know about running. I mean, hopefully there's uh, more to come in the future, but I really enjoy doing this. Well, good. Send me any links you have, if you guys have any links for uh, the program or
0: any uh, race recordings that you guys might have out there. All right, well, I'll do that. All right, thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks, man. Have a great day. You too, mate. I will. Sometimes it takes a third party to tell us what we already know. The elliptical. Today I'm going to talk to you about that ungainly looking machine in the corner of your gym. That thing that looks like a stork fettered to a bicycle. I have been not so much working out as spending my warm-ups on the elliptical this week. I thought we might delve a little deeper into how and why this machine ended up consuming so much floor space. Where did these machines come from? Well, elliptical trainers first came on the market in the 1990s. Yeah! They were invented by the gym equipment company Precor. And Precor was soon followed by others. It's an interestingly recent addition to our workout world. So why elliptical? Well, that's the motion your feet make. It's a horizontal ellipse. And an ellipse is the mathematical term for a standard or regular oval. So if you watch the feet of someone on the device, you'll see that their feet trace a sideways oval, meaning the feet go forward and back more than they go up and down. Whereas on a bicycle, your motion would trace a circle. And if you're running with good form, it's a bit of a vertical oval. What's different about the elliptical is that it's sort of a hybrid between running and cycling. You still get the full foot roll of running, but you get the low impact of cycling. And the machines come with or without arm attachments. One version has just the legs, and another has handles attached that give you this arm motion as well. Most have two adjustments. Incline, that changes the angle of your ellipse and resistance, which changes how hard the pedals are to move or push. What are the stated benefits of an elliptical? Well, first, because you never lift your feet, it's low impact. Second, it's sort of a running motion. It gives you an exercise that recruits more of the running-related muscles and fascia than a bicycle would. Third, it is a cardio workout. Fourth, If you have the one with the arm attachments, you can get a bit of a rowing type workout at the same time, both upper and lower body. Fifth, it has variable incline and variable resistance, so you can dial up workouts that tick all the boxes in terms of various effort levels and intervals and all that stuff. Sixth, that extra lateral movement recruits more and different muscles. Seventh, you can go forward or backwards in your motion to recruit even more and different muscles and going backwards is particularly hard on the hamstrings and eighth finally it's supposed to be easier on your back than running and cycling so is there a right way and a wrong way are there do's and don'ts for the elliptical well in general you want to have good upright posture when you're on the elliptical, just like you would when you're running. Don't slump over it like you see many people doing at the gym. Like any other new exercise, you want to warm up before you go hard and don't try to do too much too fast. Remember that phrase that I, that I used, new and different muscles. So give, them a couple weeks, those new and different muscles to figure out this new thing before you kill yourself. And it's recommended that you do workouts with some variability in them. Many times if you're in the gym, you see people on the elliptical and they just do one speed and one resistance level for the whole workout. And that's okay. That's fine. You're getting a workout, but you're not getting any strength or cardio benefit out of it or not as much as you could. So what they recommend is once you're warmed up, do workouts that are high intensity, hit based, or interval based to get the most benefit. The machine lends itself to that. And it's also recommended that you alternate the front motion with the back motion to get more variety during a workout. And most of the ellipticals in the gym will have some sort of heart rate monitor. But usually, these are crappy, grasp-based monitors. You can do elliptical training by heart rate zones, but probably want to use your own heart rate monitor to do so, and your heart rate zones will be different than cycling or running. As with everything these days, the internet is your friend, and you can Google elliptical workouts. You will find a plethora of fun and interesting workouts to do. So, my friends, if you are looking for a low-impact alternative to running, you can jump on that elliptical and get a decent workout in. Okay, now we're going to move you towards the exit, please. Okay, my friends, we have run over Hill and Dale through the end of episode 4-468 of the Run Run Live podcast. So knock the mud off your cleats before you come back in the house, please. And even though I have not run... (laughs) (laughs) For a couple weeks, I am running the Air Fire Department 5K next week for my turkey trot. And I should be fine. I'll just jog it. It'll be good to get out. And then the week after, the weekend after, is the Mill Cities Relay. And I've got a great 50-plus team, a senior team, consisting of my three old running buddies, plus Just Plain Dave, who's going to come up from Southern Mass., And there is, in this relay race, one short 2.5-mile leg, and I'll take that one and see if I can race a little bit. I'm really looking forward to it. should be a blast. And I'm getting to the point where I just want to start running again. Whatever it was is messed up in my knee should have healed by now. And I'm a big believer in active recovery, so I'm going to need some coaching to make sure I ease into it. But i got to start doing something. And I'm sure everyone saw, maybe everyone saw, that they accepted everyone who qualified for the 2022 Boston Marathon, the 2022 Boston Marathon in the spring on Patriots Day, meaning you didn't need to beat your qualifying time to get in. Now, I'm out of qualification, regardless of what the cutoff is. I'd need a 335 at 59 years old to get in and uh, I think I get another 15 minutes the following year in 2023 when I age up which is a lot 15 minutes in a marathon is a lot and I might consider getting a charity bib in 2022 just to keep my streak alive I ended up raising over 1500 bucks for my virtual this year and they my virtual Boston for zero the end of prostate cancer, All right? Get yourself checked. And they finally sent me the finishers box for that virtual marathon. I got the official race long sleeve tech shirt, which I think is the same one the people who ran the physical race got. I got the finishers guide, which is this magazine-y type thing. And I got the Sam Adams bottle opener, the unicorn sticker, some other odds and ends, and a medal. And I checked out the medal, and yes, it is a different medal than the one the people who ran the physical race received. So the virtual medal is silver, and the ribbon says virtual. The in-person medal is gold. So there you go. That, I'm sure, avoided a giant kerfuffle in the marathoning community. (laughs) If they had passed out the same medal to the virtual runners, uh, they would have been lynched. So depending on how you look at it, I've got 21 Boston <laughs> marathons under my belt now, and that would be my 18th in a row. So uh, tough habit to break. Ollie the Collie, he's back in training. We're doing the Good Citizens course now. The second second part of his training. And this includes everything we've learned so far, plus greeting people and other dogs, which I've been working on with him. And I've been trying to get him out for a walk with me every day on the leash for, we do a mile in the woods. Uh, he's still a struggle, <laughs> but he's getting nicer bit by bit. And he's such a smart, lovable dog, really handsome, but crazy as a barrel full of monkeys. And guess what? Guess what? I booked some business travel this week. Yeah. Bought airplane (laughs) tickets, Reservations at a hotel. I'm heading to Dallas. I may be having two trips to Dallas this month. How about that? It's been almost two years. That's crazy. I'm going to have to learn how to travel all over again. So when I walk Ollie out in the woods every day, I find trash because my little plot of woods behind my house. My one-mile loop is very popular. People come down. They park at the end of my driveway. They walk around in there. So when I walk around, I find trash. I find face masks. It's odd, isn't it? A lot of face masks, which are the new cigarette butt, is what I like to say. I find tissues, which I'm not picking up. I draw the line at used tissues. But Two other things I find are grocery receipts and candy wrappers. Now, I get the grocery receipts because, you know, they hand you those at the checkout. Your hands are full, so you stuff them in any available pocket. And they jump from that pocket when you go for a walk, right? You forget you stuck them in there and they jump from that. So I get the the grocery receipts. They're kind of curious. You have to look and see what people bought, how much it cost them where they go shopping. It's kind of nice. I pick those up, put those in my pocket, bring them home, throw them in the trash. But the other thing are these candy wrappers. And I don't quite get the candy wrappers because I'm not talking chocolate bars here. I'm talking about hard candy and lint truffles. You know, those little dense evil balls of chocolate and calories. How does that happen? What's the scenario where you say, hey, let's go for a hike. Hold on, I'll get a pocket full of truffles. I think it's people maybe who are watching their step counter, right? And they're out in the woods and they're stepping. And when it hits 10,000, they scarf down a couple truffles as a reward. So it's okay. I've got your back. When that sugar coma, when that sugar coma induced weakness hits you, and you drop those truffle wrappers, I will be there to pick them up for you, because I'm helpful like that. And as you are clutching your next handful of sinful chocolate balls and heading out for your hike, I'll see you out there. And then he thought
1: that he just couldn't die. So Ned, he laughed so hard it made him Right. right.